Now, what would be two topics that most people, not you specifically, but most people would not want to hear on a Sunday morning? Money and hell, right? That's my guess. Uh, Philip Yancey once wrote about his attitude toward money. He said, many Christians have one issue that haunts them and never fail, never falls silent. That issue that haunts me is money, he says. It hangs over me. It keeps me off balance, restless, uncomfortable, nervous. I, I feel pulled in opposite directions over the money issue. Sometimes I want to sell all that I own and join a Christian commune and live out my days in intentional poverty. At other times, I want to rid myself of guilt and just enjoy the fruit of our nation's prosperity. Mostly, I wish that I didn't have to think about money at all. Hell. When Catherine and I were in Paris celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary, yes, I am that old, and yes, I did rob the cradle. Let's just focus here, people. Um, when Catherine and I were celebrating our 40th anniversary, our tour bus drove by the Rodin Museum. And in the patio, over the hedge, we could see one of his most famous sculptors, the thinker. You know the pose, right? The guy uh, sitting there naked uh, thinking. Well, everybody's always wondered, what's he thinking about? Like maybe, where did I leave my clothes last night? Um, in reality, we actually know what he's thinking. We know exactly what he's thinking. Because that sculpture is part of a larger work that Rodin did called The Gates of Hell. If you have a chance, uh, not now, but when you're uh, at your computer and, uh, or, or not watching the Facebook Live transmission, uh, you can do a search and look at that image. And it shows just innumerable numbers of people writhing in agony as they are in hell. And Rodin is at the top thinking. He's pondering his eternal destiny and whether he will or won't be with God at that point. Money and hell. <laughs> Two topics that we would probably choose not to have to think about. Well, today is your lucky day because Jesus is going to hit both of them in the same text. Uh, uh, the text that we're going to be looking at today is Luke chapter 16, the last part of the chapter, which is verses 19 through 31. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, in the first part of Luke 16, uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he gave them the parable of what's often called the shrewd manager or the dishonest steward, de uh, steward depending on your perspective. He, includes that, he, he concludes that parable with these familiar words, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and at the same time be enslaved to money. The, the Pharisees scoffed at Jesus because they were lovers of money, the text tells us. And, and then Jesus says, well, not only that, but you guys aren't really good at following the law and the prophets because uh, there's a lot of things that you aren't obeying. And the example he gives is the law of divorce. So he decides to communicate and get at their level, he takes a well-traveled story. This story appears in uh, uh, different versions and different cultures. Some think it started in Egypt years and years and years ago. And then he adds his twist to that story. The, the first half is the part that's been shared and that you can find. 
And it's a series of contrasts and reversals. In life, you have a rich man who enjoys banquets, and you have a poor man who suffers pain. In death, it's the poor man who then has a banquet, and the rich man is now suffering pain. The second half of the parable describes a conversation between the rich man and Abraham, where the rich man is going to make two requests of Abraham. So, uh, go ahead and uh, let's read Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. He was most likely carried by neighbors to the rich man's gate, and now he's carried by angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead, Hades. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are the one in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Verse 27, Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want to warn, I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, if someone is sent from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. Word of the Lord. Well, sounds like good news for the poor and not so good news for the rich. And as much as we would want to deny, guess which category you and I are in? We're in with the rich. So, so let's walk through this text and see if there is some good news even for us. Now, the first part, the first half of this parable uh, has two scenes, what occurs in life and then what occurs in death. And, and the contrast can hardly be greater in life, you've got the haves and the have-nots. And the rich man was a self-indulgent person who dressed himself in royal clothing. Purple was the color of royalty. And it's possible that his linen garments were imported from Egypt. He was truly a lover of money, like Jesus had mentioned about the Pharisees. But even beyond the money... He used his money to satisfy 
and gratify his own pleasures. In today's world, we would say he wasn't just rich, he was filthy rich. If the poor man, if the rich man looked like he had everything going for him, the poor man was just the exact opposite. It seemed like life had stacked up against him. Uh, he, he evidently couldn't move around very well, so he was laid at the rich man's gate to beg. He doesn't ever speak, doesn't sound like he has the ability to even beg. Painful sores all over his body, so hungry that he desperately longed to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. This poor man was not able to help himself. This is the only parable where Jesus gives somebody a name. And it's odd that he would choose this particular name, Lazarus. doesn't mean much to us. But to people in the ancient world, they knew exactly what it meant. Because this is also the name in Hebrew, Eleazar. Which meant, God has helped. Now, it seems like a cruel irony of fate that Jesus would name this man one who God helps when it seemed like he was way beyond the reach of anybody's help. I mean, conventional wisdom and people knew that if you were poor, it was because God was not looking down favorably on you. Just seems like a cruel joke. Doesn't seem like God's helping Lazarus at all, but who is helping Lazarus? Well, his neighbors, it seems. And, and you know, traditionally we look and think about the dogs licking his open sores as part of an additional step towards humiliation. In the ancient world, dogs were actually trained and they their owners were paid for the service of healing because they would be paid to and trained to lick the sores of sick people. Uh, they found, uh, they excavated an area that had 1,300 dogs buried all together and it seems that they were part of this cult of uh, uh, using dogs uh, uh, for healing. Modern science has found that there is something in dogs' saliva that actually promotes healing. Now, it promotes healing for dogs. <laughs> It's not such a good idea for dogs to lick human wounds or to, uh, uh, well, I won't even go into the other things that people do with their dogs, uh, uh, in terms of kissing and, 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 and licking their faces and all that. But there is something to this about the dog's saliva. And so it's possible that the only people that this, rich, this poor man had helping him were neighbors who dropped him off at the gate to, to beg and hope for a handout, and dogs who came to lick his wounds. In death, things turn around. Lazarus is too poor for a funeral, but Abraham throws him a party. Rich man dies, and he ends up in torment. It's surprising that the rich man recognizes Lazarus. He knew who he was. He knew because he saw him when every time he went in and out of his gates. He wasn't totally blind to Lazarus's needs. He just didn't hear or see to the point that he took action. 
Now, in the second half of the parable, the rich man doesn't address Lazarus, speaks only to Abraham, and only speaks, Abraham only speaks back to him. The rich man makes two requests of Father Abraham. He's thinking, hey, I'm a Jew. Abraham, you're a Jew. That means I'm in. He repeats what the beggar would say, have mercy on me. There's no sense where he feels bad about how he treated Lazarus. There's no apology. In fact, he keeps demanding that Lazarus serve him as a servant. Bring me some water. And then later, go send him as a messenger. He still sees himself as the one in control. And he tries to control Lazarus and even Father Abraham. When, when Abraham responds, he, he's, he says, remember four things, rich man. You received good things, Lazarus received bad things. Now he is comforted and you are in anguish. He doesn't say Lazarus was healed. He doesn't say Lazarus was well fed. He says he was comforted. And that suggests that maybe part of Lazarus's pain was the psychological pain of being that close to someone who had wealth. That close to seeing what it looked like and smelling the food and hearing the sounds of banquets and festivals. And yet being a world apart from being in help. There's also this question of the chasm between or canyon between where the rich man is and where Lazarus is. You know, in life, that gate served as that canyon. And Lazarus is on the outside and the rich man was on the inside. There was no way Lazarus could cross over. But it would have been possible for the rich man to cross over. It would have been possible for the rich man to use his wealth to help Lazarus, but he doesn't. So, the rich man makes a second request. Well, if you're not going to help me, at least send Lazarus as an errand boy to notify my family. And Abraham's response is, they can read, they can hear, they know what the Bible says, they know what the law and the prophets say over and over and over and over. Love your neighbor as yourself. Take care of the poor. Make sure that you are providing for the needs of those that can't help yourself. God looks out for orphans and widows and those who can't help themselves because of their situation in life. The fasting, the true fasting that the Lord wants is not a religious thing that I do in the synagogue or in the temple, but it's sharing my wealth with those who have need. Over and over, the law and the prophets say the same thing. And what Abraham says to this rich man is, if they're not going to believe them, they're not going to believe someone who comes back from the dead. So, is there any good news for us? <laughs> Sounds like we're in uh, uh, deep trouble. The point of the parable is to emphasize not why, but what now? How do we respond to the grace of life that we find ourselves rich or the pain of life that we find ourselves in? 
What, what do we do with these gifts of pain and grace or wealth? The, the rich man responded by hoarding and using the wealth to make his life better. He spent the wealth on himself. And he treated those around him with indifference, arrogance, and pride. You know, we have a number of documents from the ancient world, uh, and, and a Roman historian uh, tells us that whenever there was a disaster, uh, uh, a natural disaster like an earthquake or a flood or a man-made disaster like a fire or a plague, pandemic, whenever there was a disaster, people would flee. They would look out for themselves and forget about everybody else. They would abandon children. They would abandon spouses. They would throw people who were sick, half wounded, um, half dead, uh, and, and, and they would throw them into the ditch and run. Everybody was looking out for themselves. Just about everybody. There's a Christian leader from the third century, Eusebius, and he writes, The Christians were the only people who admits such terrible ills showed their humanity by their actions. Day by day, some would busy themselves with attending the dead and burying them. Others gathered in one spot all who were afflicted by hunger throughout the city and gave bread to all. When this became known, the people, that is, the pagan unbelieving population, the, the people glorified the Christian God and convinced by the very facts confessed that the Christians alone were truly pious and religious. The only people in that day who genuinely stood up for what they believed in and acted out of love and charity showed generosity were Christians. And as in the early centuries that movement spread and cities and countries were filled with different communities, Christians were known for their generosity. So what's the good news for us? The good news is, while it might have been too late for that rich man, it's not too late for us. There's no way that the rich man can warn his family. There's no way the rich man can change his future or his destiny. But there is time for him to warn us. And Jesus is giving us that time to change. To change our perspectives, to change our values, to change our priorities. He's giving us time for us to look at what we have and truly analyze whether we're using our wealth for our own good or, in addition, for the good of others. Someone has come back from the dead to tell us what we need to know about how to live in our true situation. Jesus loves us enough to show us the peril of our riches and then 
gives us time to do something good. Hurricane season hasn't started yet, but I can guarantee it will. (laughs) And there will be needs. And there will be special offerings. And we don't have to wait for a tragedy to find someone like a Lazarus. And rather than waiting for dogs to be Lazarus's best and only friends, we can hope that Lazarus can count on brothers and sisters, perhaps even of the Sunset Church. The good news is that we have time to respond to God. We have time to be generous. We have time to take seriously Jesus' warnings about hell. We have time to repent and serve God and serve our neighbor. I, I, I mean, who knew that the best way to help ourselves in the future life is to be generous and help others in this life. Sunset is a generous church. But the call continues every day. Ben mentioned about putting money in our offering, and you can do so at the conclusion of the service. You can do so online. You can give a special gift if you are so moved. What we do today truly has an impact on what we do in the future. I'm going to invite our uh, brother Alfonso Thomas to come and lead a prayer. Um, As we finish our service, after his prayer, we'll have one song. Uh, Please remember about distancing. It's so good to see one another, but we don't want to make anyone overtly uh, uh, uncomfortable. And so if you would like to visit, we ask you to please step outside and, uh, and then continue visiting in a, in a little bit uh, of a safer place. Uh, we're, we're so grateful you're here. We're grateful that you connected. And uh, let's pray together with our brother Alfonso.